Welcome back to the Action Network NFL Podcast. It is the Week 15 Friday show. I'm Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs. And joining me to break down the weekend's action is Chris Raybon, a Senior Editor and Analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of All Take That Bets on ESPN+. You can follow him in the Action Network app at Chris Raybon. Chris, it is the season for giving. So right now, we are giving away a free Action Network subscription to a listener, a lucky listener. And that person is Andrew Farron. Andrew, you have just won an Action Network Edge subscription. If you want more information on that, email us at podcast at actionnetwork.com. That is the plural podcast. We're going to give away some more subs in the coming episodes. So if you want a shot at one of those free subscriptions, follow Chris, follow me, and also our co-hosts, Peter Jennings, Sean Corner, and Ian Harditz in the Action Network app. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes and send a screenshot of the follows and review to podcast at actionnetwork.com. And then listen to future shows to hear if you are the lucky recipient. Also right now, I should mention, we are running our biggest sale ever on the Premium Edge product in honor of the 40 college bowl games. And by the way, those are kicking off on Saturday. We have breakdowns for all of those games. You can subscribe to Action Network for a year, an entire calendar year for just $40 Uh, I think this is a great way to lock in a subscription for next year's football season. And also you can get access to all the bowl game and NFL postseason content. And then I think just kind of like the gravy on top of all of that is just for $40, you get all of our NBA content, PGA, MLB, soccer, MMA, all of our content for just $40. So a great deal. Head over to Action Network to get your $40 year-long subscription. Chris. You did the Monday show with Ian, who happened to be on the Wednesday show. That was great. Everyone should check that out. Let's kick off the Friday show by looking back at week 14, which I, I don't really want to do because we all know how that went. It, it Woo! What I say, boy? <laughs> you, what you, I say? Went, you went four and two. I went two <laughs> and four. Um, you are good looking. I am not. You beat me head to head in picking San Francisco versus Denver. You, uh-huh. you were right. I was wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, you had Chicago. I had the Los Angeles Rams. That didn't go well for me. I was on the right side of Indianapolis going over their total. Uh, you didn't hit the over for that game. Uh, here's one thing I noticed, small sample, of course, but uh, I went 2-0 and when picking a team total and 0-4 <laughs> when I picked against the spread. Which is, That's because all of your against the spread picks start the exact same way. It's like, I know I'm not on the sharp side. No, I'm, I'm, but... I, have, I have the squarest tendency. <laughs> so the thing is, like, I think I'm decent at being able to kind of spot when teams will be like in good situations or bad situations, kind of like in a vacuum, but not good at comparing that to what will happen on the other side for the team. You know, so like, I think it's just kind of, it's harder for me to, to pick the matchups versus just thinking of like what will happen with this offense versus mm-hmm. this defense. So uh, in, in general, just it, it brings it back home. I need to stick to the team totals 
and I need to avoid <laughs> against the spread when possible. Yeah, uh, I, was having, I was having fun. I was having fun picking against you with these head to heads, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I, I'm sure that the the fun will continue. I, I'm I'm such a donkey that I probably will venture back into some against the spread picks. Okay, let's get into our opening first and five segment. We're going to break down the five games that right now are getting the most action in the Action Network app. And let's start with, this is, I mean, it's not the game of the week, but it's a great game. Cowboys at Colts. Colts favored by three, a 47-point over-under. The majority of the money right now is on the Colts uh, and also on the under. The Cowboys have won five in a row. They have a two-game lead in the NFC East, but they are two and four on the road. The Colts have won six of seven games and are coming off a convincing 24 to 21 victory over the Texans. Uh, no big deal. Uh, breaking the Texans nine game winning streak in the process. The Colts are in the running for the number six seed in the AFC at seven and six. Chris, what are you doing with this game? So I think when you look at this game, first thing you kind of look at the the total for the Colts and you say, okay, and they could probably they could probably cover this. You know, I think there will be some overreaction to Dallas, as you mentioned, going on a hot streak. I, but the, at the same time, you know, I, I think Dallas is, there have been tangible, tangible improvements uh, with the Dallas Cowboys when you talk about Amari Cooper and what he's given that offense and on, on defense as well with, with the linebackers and Van Der Esch really playing well. So I'm thinking about this, an, the under for this game, because if you look at Dak Prescott in his career, just the, the, the Cowboys are still, you know, that game against Philadelphia. I mean, where was I had the over in that game? And like, I thought I was done by, by like the end of the first quarter, because it was, I think it was three, nothing. It was about three. It was like a single digit score into the fourth um, or into the late third. And then, you know, they, the team started going back and forth, but you know, I don't necessarily think that that's always going to be the case. We saw the Colts kind of go under last week. It's kind of a fine line. They're towing where they're playing excellent situational football. They're playing, you know, they're one of the top third down teams, uh, one of the top red zone teams. Uh, Dallas defense on defense has been able to limit that somewhat so I think that I see a little bit more it's it's a pretty good line both ways with the spread and over under I think but I see a little bit more value here on the under which is uh, 27 and 18 in Dak Prescott's career yeah so I mean you know me I am a self-loathing Cowboys fan Uh, I have really tried to remain level-headed and if anything uh, Cowboys hating during this five-game winning streak I don't know. Maybe it's just something because, like, it's not that I hate the Eagles, but it's just for the Cowboys to beat the Eagles two times in one year. Like, that's, you know, that's a thing. Like, that's a sign kind of just in general that this Cowboys team uh, is not a total mirage. So I've gone from kind of trying to be, like, keeping them at arm's length to being like, okay, I kind of believe in this team. And this is a sign of, of how bad my read is on this team. I thought they should be favored in this game. Like, if you had told me one of these teams – is going to enter this game favored by three, I would have said it was the Cowboys. <laughs> like, I just – like, I can't be objective about this team, basically. That, that, that's what I'm saying. Um, but I, I do think pretty highly of this defense. And the offense has obviously been transformed with the addition of Mari Cooper, which I think, like, in general kind of speaks to the, um, the importance of the passing game in this league. Like – the Cowboys spent the number four overall pick on Ezekiel Elliott. They've tried to run the system with him where he's just getting the ball 40 times per game, and that hasn't worked except when they've had a legitimate wide receiver on the team. 
you know, like Amari Cooper comes in and he opens things up for the rest of the team. So that's like on the offensive side, but on the defensive side, I think pretty highly of what they are doing. And like, it's weird to say that an off ball linebacker is really important to the defense, because I think in general, like that's one of the least important positions on a defense in like the modern NFL, like cornerbacks are really important and edge rushers are really important. But for the Cowboys defense, like Sean Lee is really important. And in previous seasons, when he was out, that defense was just total trash. And now with Jalen Smith kind of finally recovering from that college injury that he suffered uh, and with the addition of Leighton Vanderesh, like this defense is actually still a pretty good unit, even when Sean Lee isn't there. So I'm taking the under on the team total for Indianapolis. And part of it is also because we don't know what's going on with T.Y. Hilton. Uh, He's missed practice for two days straight. I'm imagining that he's going to play. But there's still a possibility that he doesn't play. Even if he does play, maybe he's not at his best. And the Cowboys, looking at what their opponents have done, they have been the number one team in the league at holding their opponents under their implied total, uh, just based on kind of like a a points per game metric. So I'm going to take the under here. I I don't want to take against the spread, picking the Cowboys. If I had to, I probably would take the Cowboys, although I know that's the donkey side of this. But I'm going to take the the under. I could see it being, as you are picking the under for the game, I could see it being a lower scoring game in general. Yeah, and just to go back one real quick to your point on Amari and, and you know, how, how much, you know, receivers in a passing game matters. There has been, like, a bunch of that renewed chatter about pass versus run. So I went back and I actually ran the correlations uh, for this season only because I feel like this season has been such a – kind of unique season and, you know, the teams and offenses are ever evolving. And so um, just looking at it from this season alone, net yards per pass attempt has a 0.64 R squared. So that's a 64% of the variance. That's not even the correlation, which would be actually be a little higher, uh, but 0.64 R squared to point differential. So net yards and attempt 0.64 yard per carry only 0.11. And then early down pass rate, um, so first or second down pass rate uh, is posi- is a 0.7 R squared in favor of passing. So teams that are passing more on early downs and teams that can gain more yardage uh, with the pass overall have been by far uh, the more successful teams. And, and, and it's not even been close. Yeah, it's like it's not a coincidence that Amari Cooper, since he joined the Cowboys, has led the league in receiving and receiving touchdowns. And that kind of correlated with that you have seen Ezekiel Elliott's fantasy production just skyrocket. Like those two things are correlated, you know? Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say one thing. Like it it doesn't make me feel great about like the Dak trend, you know, because I think it's a a, kind of a new offense with Amari. But the one thing I will say is that, you know, that last game against Philly, for example, you know, it ended up being a tie, which, you know, kind of raised the score up. And also Amari was scoring, uh, you know, had like an 80-yard touchdown. Like these things are hard to repeat. So I think even with, you know, uh, Amari here, I don't think he scores like an 80-yard touchdown every game. Yeah, I, I still, if I had to take a side, I, I still like the Dak under just as a general principle. The second game we were talking about, the Seahawks at the 49ers Seahawks favored by three and a half a 44 point over under the spread is down from five and a half the super majority of the money is backing the 49ers the sharp money is definitely on the 49ers uh the Seahawks have won four straight and are almost a lock to make the playoffs at eight and five 
the 49ers are coming off of a big home win last week against the motivated Broncos. Uh, this is a rematch of the Seahawks 43 to 16 week 13 home victory. Uh, it's pretty rare to have two teams playing each other just kind of two weeks apart, but the, the NFL has started to do that more recently. Chris, what are your thoughts on this game? You know, this one was, I, I kind of figured I was going to end up on Seattle here because, you know, I was on San Fran last week. and I, Usually in these kind of situations, a team like San Francisco, quote unquote, surprises um, and, and gets a gets kind of an upset win and then they get overrated. But, you know, the more I look at this game and the more I look at these two teams, you know, Seattle is another team kind of like the Colts where there's just a really thin line between them having a lot of success and them face planning. And I think you saw, and I think that's why people were getting fired in Minnesota after that Monday night game, because that game was there for Minnesota. I mean, it had to be what the third quarter and and they hadn't done a thing all game and they were down like six, nothing, one touchdown and they entered the lead and they couldn't do it. Russell Wilson. I mean, throws the, one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen in my life. And this is coming from a quarterback who we saw throw a Super Bowl away. Um, so I got to go San Francisco here. Um, I actually have this game in my model, <laughs> Edge San Francisco, like outright. So I, I don't hate the money line either uh, for this game. San Francisco's better on first downs per play, which is a, another one of those metrics. Um, when you look at point differential, one of the highest correlated metrics you'll find. So first downs per play, San Francisco's uh, better on both offense and defense. So that, so they more first downs per play on offense for San Fran um, than Seattle's offense and uh, less first downs per play allowed on defense than Seattle's defense. San Francisco's better in terms of net yard per pass, whether you're looking at full season, including um, Jimmy G and Beathard, whether you're, whether you're just looking at Nick Mullins, whether you're looking at Nick Mullins without the Raider game included. Um, anyway, you slice it, they're better in that. They're at home. Wouldn't be surprised if Russell Wilson pulls one out of another one out. But the last game, I don't, I'm not taking that score too seriously. Um, there was a 98-yard return by Bobby Wagner. A lot of turnovers, which are the thing that I think would do San Fran in. But those are kind of hard to reliably predict. So you kind of got to regress those to the mean a little bit when you kind of project them. I'm taking San Fran anything more than a field goal. It's still at three and a half. So taking San Fran again. I mean, so here's the thing. I wouldn't actually bet on this game. But for the purposes of our little back and forth here, there's no way I want San Francisco. And like, <laughs> I understand I should. That was last week. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know, I know I said it last week, but there's still no way I want San Francisco. I don't want the third string quarterback on a team that is motivated to lose. And I know that from like the player perspective, like the 11 guys on the field on any given play, they are trying their hardest. But actually, I want to question that a little bit. Like, <laughs> like, I want to question it. So one, is Shanahan in certain situations, is he motivated to be as aggressive as possible? I don't think so. And then a player on a, what are they now? Are they three and 10 on a three and 10 team? A, a player, like at some point, maybe it's like, you know, I'm not going to run as hard. I'm not going to try to like put my body in a position where I might get injured. Like I'm going to make a business decision because like, I'm not in a position to put my team into the playoffs. If I make this tackle, you know I, what I, I mean? Like, I, I think there are some points like just a little bit, even if it's like these guys are just playing at 98% capacity instead of hundred percent capacity. Like these are guys who are not entirely motivated to win. So I want to take the maybe borderline Hall of Fame quarterback 
getting three or giving three and a half points against a third string quarterback on a team that is not that good and has reasons to lose. Okay. Our third game here, Packers at bears bears favored by six. And by the way, there's an article at action Network talking about how this is the first time in almost a decade that Aaron Rodgers has been an underdog to the bears. The total is down from 46 and a half. Almost all of the money is on the under the Packers are coming off a win in their first game without head coach Mike McCarthy. Uh, they are still technically in the running for a playoff spot at 5-7-1. and one. The Bears can clinch the NFC North with a win. They're coming off an emboldening 15-6 to six home victory over the Rams. This is a rematch of the Week 1 game on which the Packers came back to win 24-23. to Aaron Rodgers returned from injury famously to lead the team to victory. Should be a very interesting game. These two teams are in very different places than where they were in week one. Chris, what are your thoughts here? I think I'm getting off Chicago here. I think I'm going Green Bay. Uh, I think that the, it's a little bit inflated in favor of the Bears. You know, national TV, big win in a spot where a lot of people didn't expect them to, uh, to cover, no less, win the game. And so I think that this line, there's probably a point inflated at least, um, which is interesting because usually you see it the other way in Packers games. Usually you see Packers uh, lines inflated, but I don't think this to be the case. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that the Bears offense. I mean, Mitchell Trubisky might not be 100% healthy. The Bears offense didn't play very well at all against the Rams. Um, and, and, you know, I know the Rams have a keep to lead back, but that's still a defense that they should have been able to put up to, to do more damage against them. Green Bay can get some pressure on a quarterback. It will be a little tougher, you know, out, not in Green Bay. But Aaron Rodgers, new life, you know, without, without Mike McCarthy here, I don't think we quite know what to expect. I expect them to keep it close. And I don't trust going on the under. The under is probably a sharp play because they, they could have another game like last week. But I don't trust it with, with this, you know, not knowing exactly what this Green Bay offense is going to be now. You know, without McCarthy, it's not going to be quite as conservative. And you have Aaron Rodgers and just, I mean, against a divisional opponent with a sliver of playoff hope. I just, I got to back Rodgers here. Yeah, I am very much with you on this. The one thing that gives me pause is that Trubisky is very, like, he's very night and day. He's very volatile. It's hard to know kind of which version of the uh, the Bears offense he is going to allow to show up with his play. So I could see the Bears putting up a lot of points. I could see them putting up very few points. You know what I mean? So like yeah. that that makes me very nervous about the spread, but I am with you in your analysis of the Packers themselves. Right now, the implied total is 19 and a half points. I feel very confident that a team quarterbacked by Aaron Rodgers where he has a healthy number one receiver, he has a good running back with him, that team can score 20 points. That team should be able to score 20 points, I think almost regardless of who they're playing. And I have respect for the Bears' defense. In PFF coverage grade, they're number one. Uh, in DVOA, number one overall from the defensive perspective. Like I, I respect that unit. Still, Aaron Rodgers should be able to score 20 points against the best defense in the league, even if you think they are the best defense in the league. Like That's the side I clearly want to go on. I, I'm taking the over on Green Bay very easily. I'm not going to say that's my favorite bet of the week, but like I am actually betting that. You know what I mean? Like I feel confident in that. Yeah, I'm not mad at you because I think, you know, with all these stats about the Bears and whatnot, you have they they start with you start with a plus 7 like a 7 point handicap anytime you're facing Aaron Rodgers because Devontae Adams just pencil him in for a touchdown. 
Like just <laughs> right, right, yeah. Just pencil him in. Like I don't care who the defender is. I mean, he scored. I believe it's uh, in eleven of fourteen games this year. I want to say uh, I don't have it in front of me, but yeah, since two thousand and sixteen, he leads the league in receptions uh, or sorry, uh, receiving touchdowns. You know, so it's it's a thing. Like he's the only wide receiver in the last three years to have ten plus touchdowns each year. So yeah, you you lock him in for a certain number of, of touchdown equity each game. Like it, yeah. he has a high likelihood of scoring. Three of the games he hasn't scored, and so he scored in ten of thirteen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Next game here: Patriots at Steelers. Patriots favored by two. A fifty-two point over under. Almost all of the money is on the Pats. Uh, the Sharps will presumably be on the Steelers at the Action Network right now. We have an article pointing out that based on our power rankings the Steelers are the most underrated team of the week of course from a betting perspective Uh, the Patriots are coming off a devastating road loss a last second road loss to the Dolphins the Steelers have lost three games in a row they are at risk of losing the AFC North and falling out of the playoffs altogether Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger uh, has a rib injury he is expected to play but running back James Conner is expected to sit with an ankle injury Chris give it to me what do you think of this game uh, this is a, this is going to be an interesting game. I, I think um, you know Pittsburgh is a sharp play here. They should probably be. It should probably be no worse than a pick 'em, even fi- uh, Pittsburgh favored. But I think kind of the uncertainty with Big Ben and the loss to the Raiders kind of is depressing that a little bit. That being said, don't want to back Pittsburgh in this spot because they always seem to find a way to do something stupid. Uh, yeah. against the Patriots or either that or to just get out coached by the Patriots I mean you have Tom went on maybe on the hot seat right now I mean it just kind of underscores it and the Patriots I mean they're coming off I mean Rob Grink I mean I guess it looks bad worse in hindsight <laughs> but like I guess you have to kind of wait the, the 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 chances of a Hail Mary being anywhere close to complete in that area versus what the Dolphins did but I mean that looked bad for New England but I still think that they have a, a massive uh, coaching advantage on these Steelers and I'm going to go with the over here I think again I think some of the uncertainty regarding Big Ben kind of keeping this this total in check but you know you know we always talk about it you know overs in Heinz Field in the Big Ben Antonio era I but what is the cover rate over 60 percent I believe I, I usually quote it like every week in your uh, quarterback breakdown but. yeah it's it's high and then it's even higher when it is against non-divisional opponents so uh it's it's even more of a smash spot for the over here Right. And, you know, I still think both of these offenses, I think that, you know, James Connors, it's lost, not ideal for that Steelers offense. But if anything, you know, Big Ben um, does one of the reasons that he puts up such good home numbers is not just efficiency. It's because they tend to attempt a lot of passes at home. New England still has a, an offense that matches up very well with Pittsburgh, by the way. You know, they Pittsburgh's uh, weakest kind of area of the field to defend is the is the middle. And no Ryan Shazier. Right. Yeah. For, for a while now. And they rank, what is it? 27th, I believe in passes over the middle uh, in terms of, of DVOA, whether, whereas they're 19th on passes to the left, 17th on passes to the right. Now, when you're, if you're the Patriots, you have two ways to exploit that. I mean, Pittsburgh ranks number 31 against tight end. So, you know, you could go with Gronk. Um, you can go with, uh, you know, Edelman out there, you know, Pittsburgh probably going to play a lot of zone because they're in man, you know, Mike Hilton has, you know, as far as just giving up yardage, um, per uh, coverage snap he's been their worst corner and then um you know Morgan Burnett's not matching up with Gronk like that so it's I think they're gonna have to play a lot of zone and and Tom Brady's gonna be able to pick that apart but at home I think the Steelers are gonna throw they're gonna be able to kind of get in a shootout essentially with them so yeah I'm going with the over here 
Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, and I should say, as we are recording this, the line has moved to two and a half Patriots. There's so much for me that, that points to the over. The splits without Shazier, I mean, and granted, at this point now, it's been 18 games, including the playoffs, since they had him. But if you look at the 2017-2018 uh, seasons, when the Steelers had Shazier, they held opponents to 17.8 points per game. Without Shazier, that's been 24.8 points per game. So a, a pretty decent sample there across the two seasons. And then, obviously, the the sample that we have of Steelers at home being able to score points and because these two teams have actually played each other like at this point I think it's like five times in the last five years these teams considering they are not divisional opponents they know each other about as well as they can and even though they've played each other that often you've seen uh, an average over under of around 49 points but they've combined on average to score around 57 or 58 points per game. So just historically, even though these teams know each other, they still combine to score a lot of points. In terms of thinking of one side or the other, uh, I don't want to take, like, I know the Steelers are going to be the sharp side. I don't, I still, I don't want to back the team that's lost three games in a row and uh, that has an injured quarterback, you know, is on its third string running back. I definitely don't want to go against uh, Bill Belichick coming off of an embarrassing loss. You know, I mean, I don't know how much like that narrative stuff actually matters, but like, I, I don't, I just, I don't want to take a side on this. You know what you I mean? Know, like, I don't want to go against the sharps, but I don't want to go against Belichick. Okay. Our fifth game, which uh, was a game picked by the listeners. Uh, they want us to talk about Buccaneers at Ravens. Ravens favored by seven and a half, a 46.5 over under. The Bucks are coming off of a home loss to the Saints. They have one of the worst defenses in the league, last in the league in PFF rush defense. Uh, as Evan Silva pointed out on Twitter, the defense has been particularly poor this year on the road. The Ravens are coming off of a morale-boosting overtime loss to the Chiefs. First-round quarterback Lamar Jackson is locked in formally as the starter. The Ravens are 3-1 and one in his starts, and they have featured an extremely run-heavy ball control offense with Lamar Jackson running it. Chris, thoughts on this game? Ravens definitely have an edge here uh, over the Bucks Because the Ravens are able to kind of – they play good defense, and you know they, they want to run the ball like ridiculous amounts with Lamar as the starting quarterback. Um, this kind of sets up as a game where they can do it because they – you know, in general, they play really good defense. And so they're able to do that. Even against the Chiefs, I mean, they were able to kind of keep that game close and continue to run the football. But I, I still think that this line is a bit much um, for this game. I, I would have it as Ravens uh, by seven. It's at it's still at Ravens seven and a half. So I'm taking the little half point value with the Bucks. It's, a, it's just a tough one for me with, with Lamar because it's there's almost no precedent for teams that have kind of run this much and, you know, with this kind of, the level at which they're running. And it's just just a lot of unknowns for me. I would probably lean under, but uh, I don't really see as much uh, value on the the under. Like, I think it's a pretty fair line where it is. You know, it, it's just Tampa Bay's defense is bad. They turn the ball over. So that, like that that's that's kind of my worries. Like, they, they haven't turned the ball over as much lately, but um, that could always rear its ugly head against a defense like the Ravens. And, like, that's what could end up, I think, putting it over the total because I think, you know, the Ravens will be able to, to move the ball and, uh, you know, convert first downs because you mentioned Tampa Bay's run defense so bad, especially on early downs, one of the worst in the league. So staying away from the total and, and just going to take Tampa Bay plus seven and a half. Yeah, I'm going to be chalky here and go with the uh, over team total for the the Ravens. As you mentioned, the Buccaneers haven't turned the ball over recently, but like this is what they do. They turn the ball over. Like Winston has more interceptions 
than any other quarterback in the league since he entered the league. He's going to turn the ball over at some point. I, I feel pretty confident in that, especially against a defense as good as the Ravens. Uh, so I think whether it's um, a defensive touchdown or just good field position, whatever it is, uh, I feel confident in both the ability of the Ravens to move the ball against this defense and then also uh, confident in the ability of the defense to give up lots of points. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to take the Ravens over 27 points. If it goes up to 27 and a half, I might be a little less likely to do it, but I, I think I'd probably still do it. Yeah. I mean, the, the Ravens have been, it's kind of, they've been right there in like similar type of games. So they had that game against the Falcons where they went into Atlanta and what was the final score 26 to 16. So they came, you know, they, they scored 26 and then they played the chiefs and what does that score end up? Tw- uh, 30. I, I think 27, 24, maybe. 27, 24. Yeah. 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 27, 24. Right. So they've been kind of right there in those mid twenties. I think, you know, the, the thing is the chiefs and the Falcons aren't quite as turnover prone as the, as the bucks. So we'll see, you know, I think that that, that turnover might end up making that, making that difference there. I, I agree with her. I like, I think it's going to be, be close either way. It wouldn't surprise me if they didn't get it, but I, I feel confident that if they're able to put up, you know, 20 ish points, like, like mid twenties points around some other teams against the Buccaneers when they're playing at home, they should be able to get 27. I, I do. I will say this though. I think, you know, I kind of alluded to it last week. I think, um, like, I think the, the Bucks were going to be able to overrate it last week. It, it turned out that the public was actually on the saints at, at a big number, which was kind of surprising, but I thought that, you know, the, the Bucks kind of, they were playing the Saints last week and the Saints were just like such a, a, a good team and people were kind of down on them. And now I feel like it might have switched a little bit where uh, now we're kind of down on the, on the Bucks cause they just got blown out. And now I feel like they're not, they could, they could hang close with the Ravens. They do. They, they, they should be able to move the ball. It's just about the turnovers to me. Like, I think like the Bucks are good enough, even with um, as good as the Ravens defense has been, we know that, uh, you know, a team's offense is kind of going to still impose its will a little more. Like I think they can move the ball. It's just, yeah the turnovers worry me yeah I mean I, I don't <laughs> think it's a question as to whether they can accumulate yards it's just whether they can like translate those yards into points like they've shown a remarkable inability in some games to do that um so yeah it's just a question of whether they can okay we have the uh the two minute drill next right after Josh Applebaum tells us which game the wise guys are betting this week money talks and action Applebaum is all ears This is the Sharp Report. NFL Week 15, we are traveling to San Francisco for a divisional showdown between the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. Recreational bettors take one look at the win-loss records and say easy layup with Seattle on the road laying a short spread. Seattle's 8-5, San Fran is 3-10. However, Sharps are buying low on San Fran at home in this spot. San Fran opened as a six-point dog. And even though nearly 70% of spread bets are laying the points with Seattle, we've seen Seattle fall from minus six all the way down to minus three and a half. This is a classic case of sharp reverse line movement. Even though the public is loading up on Russell Wilson in Seattle, the line has moved bigly towards San Fran. Why would the odds makers drop the line to give public Seattle betters an easier shot at covering? It's because they got hit with a big wave of sharp action on the 49ers plus the points. Using our Sports Insights bet signals, we saw three different steam and reverse line moves on San Fran. Sharps hit San Fran at four and a half and then hit San Fran at four twice at Buckeye and FanDuel. This overload of sharp action caused that line to fall toward the 49ers. 49ers also enjoy a huge bet first dollar split. 
They're only getting 32% of bets, but 81% of dollars. Classic case here of the bigger, sharper wagers here. Grabbing the points with average Joes laying the points. San Fran is also in a profitable historical spot. Uh, The 49ers fit two profitable Bet Labs Pro Systems. The first one is Team ATS Records. Basically, you are buying low on a team that doesn't cover a lot against a team that does cover a lot. This match on Seattle is 62% ATS since 2003. And they also fit the Fade Streaks NFL Spread Pro System, which is 57% ATS since 2003. San Fran is also just a classic divisional dog with a low total. Total now is at 44. Divisional dogs always have an edge because of the built-in familiarity. The low total also benefits a dog. Lower amount of points expected to be scored makes it harder for the favorite to cover. So even though the public is all over Seattle and a game looks like they have to cover, the wise guys are buying low on San Fran at home plus the points. Okay, that was Josh. Be sure to check out his article, The Sharp Report, on the Action Network. Okay, Chris, instead of doing the two-minute drill, I'm going to call an audible. We're going to look at the Saturday slate of games from a sports betting and DFS perspective. The first weekend this year that we have games on Saturday, two games we have. First one, the Texans at the Jets. The Texans favored by seven, a 41.5 over under. The spread is up from six and a half. The total is down from 42 and a half. Over 80% of the money is on the under. The Texans are coming off a home loss to the Colts. Don't forget it. Uh, But they are in the running for a playoff by the Jets snapped a six-game losing streak last week with the return of rookie quarterback Sam Darnold. Chris, I mean, I'm looking at our picks here in the Google Doc. It's like we're on opposite sides of where we should be. Tell me what is going on here. <laughs> yeah, I'm going against the hashtag brand, and, I, and I'm, I'm going against the Texans in this spot. And it's not because I don't think they're the better team or that I think they don't still have a, like a sneaky Super Bowl shot or anything like that. But – Again, I just think the margins are so slim with these with these literal margins of victory uh, in the NFL late in the year on the road. You know, there was this whole thing about, you know, we had an article about it. Very interesting on ActionNetwork.com about how there is a I believe it was a high uh, high five figure bet um, yeah. at, at one of the books that kind of they, they skipped six and a half for the Texans. So they jumped straight from six to seven because it was like a sharp guy. and It was a high figure bet. And, you know, I get all that, but I think that's kind of – so the line opened in most spots at six and a half. Uh, I think that was the correct line. And, that uh, you know, th- this kind of – this whole thing with, the, with that one sharp guy doing this and then – and, like, the public and the sharps are on the same page. Like, it's just a lot. It's just a little fishy to me. Right. Um, <laughs> there was a huge bet that came in on the Redskins last week too, and we saw how that turned out. You know, the under just 41, I think if you are betting on the over-under, it's still at 41 and a half. I think you do kind of lean toward that 41. Um, Tends to be a more common score than 42. But I don't – this is another team, a game where I think there's a lot of turnover volatility at play. Um, You know, Houston tends to to get sacked a lot. You know, sacks can always end up in in chaos and fumbles and things. And then on the other side, Sam Darnold's been uh, one of the most turnover, if not the most turnover-prone quarterback in the league this season uh i believe you know even with him missing games he still uh, has that league lead in interceptions so you know there's a lot of weight like i could see the turnovers kind of pushing this game over even though houston has a really good run defense and i think that that's a little problematic for the jets um because they would they're already kind of a little banged up with isaiah crowell out elijah mcguire looks like he's gonna go but um yeah it's just the turnovers that make me a little shaky with the the over under i think it's too big of a spot um, a too big of a number for for Houston. It's kind of a classic letdown spot if you look at the 
the, the market trends, uh, road favorites 20 and 26 against the spread uh, in their first game on the road after a three-game homestand, which Houston has. They've been on a three-game homestand, and if you look at their road games, I mean, most of their games in general, they're, they're not really separated by uh, – they're not winning by a lot of points. You know, they, a couple-point win against the Broncos. You know, they, they're, they're, there's some close games in there. Um, they're, they're 12 point one against Cleveland came at home. So, you know, like the Texans, but just not, not big enough for, for seven on the, on the road here. Uh, I hear what you're saying, but sometimes I am so square that I am sharp and I, <laughs> I bet this at six cause I, there was just no way like Houston. Okay. Granted, I think that their nine straight wins came against teams that are nobodies, but that is exactly what the Jets are. <laughs> the Jets are a nobody. And the Texans, you know, some of those wins were were close, but like some of those wins were decent sized wins. Like, you know, they they took it to some of these teams that are basically running out like non-entity quarterbacks. And as highly as I think of Sam Darnold, he is still a rookie who has missed significant time, who's playing in an offense coordinated by a guy who probably won't be there next year, right? Like it's just not a great situation for him or for that team. And I can see why this could be a letdown spot, but like, I also see this as like a bounce back spot for Houston. Like they could have won that game. And if they had won last week, right, they would have gained like massive edge on everyone else in the AFC, right? Because the Steelers lost, the Patriots lost, Right, like it was just kind of like setting up to be like this this perfect shot for them to get the number two seed, and they blew it. Right, but they still they still have a chance at it, and all they have to do is beat the Jets. One of the Steelers or the Patriots is going to lose this week. One of the Chiefs or the Chargers is going to lose this week. All they have to do is beat the Jets. Yeah, and they can be like in a very good situation, and but they and they knew that all week, and that's why it's a letdown spot because they know that they know that. No, like, I, oh, you know, I, I think I think it's a this. get right cupcake. It's a get right spot. <laughs> Two like, of our rivals are gonna lose. Like it's no, it's this is this is a get right spot. Like they go into New York, and it's like oh, you know, a, a warm weather quarterback going going to the Northeast, playing in the cold, whatever. Like he's not throwing the ball all that often to begin with. They're going to run the ball a lot. He's going to throw it to Hopkins, who's going to dominate. I mean, I probably I wouldn't bet it now at seven, but uh, I felt very confident betting it at six. Yeah. And if I had to choose a side, uh, I would still go with with Houston pretty easily because I just, I mean, the, the Jets are so bad at this point. And I think it would be very easy for them just at the end of the season, just to kind of like go ahead and die. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Like this was one of the the tougher ones. I spent some time kind of going back and forth um, as to what, what, what kind of what side I wanted here as far as, you know, the total or, or Houston, but I mean, or the Jets, but I, I just, again, I, I think it should be 6.5. It's seven. Going Jets. All right. The nightcap on this. The Browns at the Broncos. Broncos favored by two and a half. A 45.5 over under. The spread is down from four. The total is up from 44 and a half. Bob Scucci said on the favorites podcast that the Sharps are on the Browns. A majority of the money is on the under. The Browns are coming off of a win. They are three and two since firing head coach Hugh Jackson and offensive coordinator Todd Haley. The Broncos are still technically alive for the number six seed in the AFC, but they are coming off a disheartening road loss to the league worst 49ers. 
Chris, give it to me. What do you think of this game? Oh, the 49ers aren't league worst, first of yes, all. Yes, they, they are no, one, of, they are, they are one of the league worst. Oh, my God. They're, they're, all their metrics are, like, on par with Seattle. That means Seattle's a league worst team? No. San Francisco is just an average team that we thought was worse than it was because they lost the one guy that we thought made them better than, than average, which was Jimmy G. Turns out that Jimmy G – well, I mean, we didn't get to see a lot of him, but, like, Nick Mullins is essentially not hurting them any more than Jimmy G would, really, at, at this point. Like, he's not doing anything – he hasn't done anything yet to really like be any different. But anyway, Chris, totally- you you are you are protesting too much. The 49ers are one of the worst teams in the league. They're playing I, I, with I an undrafted so. third string quarterback, an undrafted Who's- fifth string running back, and they are without their quote unquote number one wide receiver in Pierre Garcon, who's not oh. really a number one, but he's oh, like on. one of the better receivers they have. <laughs> so. are, we, are we throwing Pierre Garcon? <laughs> Pierre Garcon, the, the end zone feels the same way about Pierre Garcon's app. I, I, I threw that right? in there just like, come on. <laughs> okay, like, let, let, let's talk, let's talk hey, about Mullins, that. Mullins is like, top, again, top set in net yards per pass. He's got like 700 over the past couple games. He got Dante. I mean, whatever. Anyway, okay, back to this game. Denver, yeah, Denver, Vance Joseph, not a fan. I like the Browns here, like the money line. I think the Browns could go in here and win this game. Um, I don't think this will be quite as big as a struggle. Like, I think it will be close, and so I, I could understand if you just take the, the points and not the money line, but, you know, they're going to have more time to prepare. I, like, I, 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 didn't, I knew that was kind of going to be bad for them, like losing their top receiver midweek in the midst of also losing one of their top players, if they're not their top player in the secondary, um, you know, just from a, you know, overall communication, all that standpoint as well, um, just wasn't a good, good thing. And we saw them start really, really slow. They rebounded. So I, I do think they'll play a better, more competitive game um, at home. Uh, you know, I don't think they'll come out as flat as they did against San Fran, but I just think this Browns team has been a better team since you Jackson got fired. Uh, their net yards per pass attempt right up there, top of the league. Um, play better on pass defense you know number five in dvoa outside the top 25 against the run but you know pass defense a little bit more important and you know even you know denzel ward doesn't is he what's his status is it is he gonna miss i believe this? he's out yeah so he's gonna miss this game so yeah. that's that's the one thing that's not ideal um but it actually it's not ideal but it also comes at like the best time it could for an absence from him because tim patrick did some good things last week deshaun got the touchdown but Denver is still, you know, the cupboard's pretty bare as far as as far as what they, you know, what they have at at the you know at at the pass catcher position. So I think they're going to want to run the ball, and you know that always kind of I think kind of favors the underdog a little bit because he keeps the game a little little tighter. And I think Cleveland's going to be able to to pull this out against the Denver secondary that's you know not nearly as formidable. Uh, anymore is what we're used to um you know they just have to kind of worry about pass blocking you know blocking up those two those two rushers um which you know San Francisco was able to do and uh you know I think Cleveland has some matchup advantages they can exploit I mean you know we saw what George Kittle did to Denver you know you have Njoku he hasn't quite been as um, utilized as heavily they've been spreading the ball around a lot more since uh, Freddie Kitchens took over but they have a, a bunch of different ways I think to to exploit Denver um, you can you can use Jarvis Landry now a little bit more because you don't have to worry about the coverage of Chris Harris and the, and the slot on him. So uh, I just think that Cleveland's probably a, a better team, and it's fair to favor Denver. They're at home, but it should probably probably be no more than a point for me anyway. And um, so I'm I'm going I'm going with Cleveland here. I think I like them to get the win too. 
Yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you on this. I, I really don't even need to add anything. I think Cleveland's the better team. Yeah, and I agree. I don't think they should be favored in this game, but I think if they were on a neutral field, they would definitely be favored. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this line continued to move towards them as we get closer to Saturday. Yeah, I'm with you. Cleveland, two and a half. Let's talk a little DFS for this two-game slate. Uh, the two quarterbacks who are really standing out, Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, uh, the, the two expensive quarterbacks on the slate. Uh, what are your thoughts on them? The issue with both of these guys, both of those guys is that they're in these kind of game scripts where they could kind of have a really down game, not, not by playing bad, but just because the, uh, the opponent is not pressuring them into, into scoring a lot of points. Uh, I think I feel a little better about a little better about Mayfield just overall, just because, I think that you know he's he's just been really impressive ever since Kitchens took over. And Houston, on the other hand, they've been playing really conservatively, really run heavy. Um, and again, there's you know the Jets are a turnover prone team, so there's a chance that Houston could kind of miss out on a drive or two um, because they end up returning a turnover for a touchdown or something like that. Case Keenum, not quite you know in Denver, not quite as as turnover prone. Don't expect them to be at home uh, with a run focused offense. So. I think Mayfield gives you a little bit, a little bit more upside in the spot. I think Deshaun's always a great, like every week he's a great um, ceiling play in terms of, in terms of tournaments. But if I had to choose a guy who I feel better about his floor, I would go Mayfield. Yeah, I'm with you there. The running backs uh, who are catching my eye, Nick Chubb, Philip Lindsay, Lamar Miller. How are you choosing between those three? Well, I think Chubb is at this point, he's an auto play. I mean, the, the way he's been used, uh, ever since Kitchens took over, really, but really ever since they traded Carlos Hyde. I mean, he's getting uh, – most games he gets over 90% of the backfield carries, which is very rare in this day and age. I mean, you look at you – know, maybe you get Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, uh, and then in, depending on the week, sometimes you get you know Connor or so, somebody yeah. like that. But it's really rare for a back to get that much work in terms of the carries. And he's also getting a, a 10% target share since Kitchens took over, which I think is big because that – that really aids his floor in case and then they kind of run into a little bit of trouble. And just the, the way they're spreading the ball around, that, that means, you know, Chubb is getting more than maybe he would get in, in another kind of offense. So, and then I think at that other spot, I mean, it's gotta be, it's gotta be Lindsay because they, they, you mentioned it last week. They, what is their offense outside of Lindsay at this point? I mean, again, they had some receivers step up, but that was in a, that was in a game where it was essentially a comeback kind of garbage time environment from like the first what early second quarter on or something like that so those numbers I don't know if you can respect expect those to repeat every week and uh, I mean Deshaun Hamilton wasn't particularly you know uh, explosive or efficient you know he just kind of got a lot of uh, a lot of caught a lot of balls um for not many yards got the touch but uh, yeah I think I think Lindsay good spot for him to to get back on track good matchup and uh I think though that that running back combination is, is a pretty high floor, high ceiling combination that um, unless I'm in a, in a tournament, I don't really want to deviate too much from. Yeah. Uh, one guy to keep an eye on Elijah McGuire. It seems like he's going to, to play. Um, and he does have uh, on DraftKings $4,000 salary, which, you know, is pretty reasonable. So someone to, to keep an eye on. Uh, yeah. I think, I mean, he should, yeah, he should be your flex. Like if you're, yeah. if he's healthy, you know, you go, you go to third running back in a flex. He should be that guy. Yeah. The wide receivers, there are two uh, expensive guys in the slate, DeAndre Hopkins, Jarvis Landry. How are you choosing between them? So, I mean, if you go with McGuire, you know, I mean, Lindsey and Chubb aren't like 
super high stud salary guys. So you can, you still have some money to play with here. So definitely want DeAndre Hopkins in there. I mean, you know, he finds a way to, you know, even to save bad days. I mean, last week, you know, he had a uh, 36 yards on 10 targets, but still, you know, caught a touchdown. He's over 12 DraftKings points looks like in every single game this season. So yeah, um, just more consistency with DeAndre Hopkins. He's the one guy that you kind of feel confident about with Houston, even if they do get into kind of one of those uh, um, defensive games. For Landry, you know, like like his matchup a lot more with Chris Harris out. Um, but if I'm choosing between Hopkins and Landry, it's definitely Hopkins just for the floor. He's shown uh, Cleveland, again, spreading the ball around to the point that under Kitchens, their top receiver in terms of target share is Jarvis Landry, not even 20%, 19% of the targets, which is very rare that you just can, that just kind of shows how much Cleveland has been spreading around the ball and, and how, I mean, he's still a good play compared relative to other receivers on the slate, but if I'm choosing between those top two guys, definitely uh, paying up for DeAndre. Okay. And then a few of the cheaper guys who have caught my eye, uh, Demarius Thomas is going to be someone people consider Deshaun Hamilton, Robbie Anderson. What are your thoughts on those guys? Uh, you know, I like Robbie in this spot. I think uh, I think Demarius. You know, if you look at our our models on DraftKings, Demarius closer to the bottom, uh, along with uh, Jarvis Landry in terms of projected plus minus. And Robbie Anderson is the number two on DraftKings at a salary of forty two hundred. So I think Robbie would be the clear kind of the better play in terms of he gives you some upside. Uh, you know, he's, he has he gets the air yards. Um, Demarius is kind of really outside. I mean, he's kind of been hot and cold, so I don't hate him as a tournament play, but I don't think he's somebody you really want to rely on as a, as a core play on this slate, just based on his track record and what we've seen from him out in Houston. I, I mean, Cortland Sutton's another guy I think you, you could kind of argue for going back to, you know, but he, he's also kind of more of a tournament play, even though he does top all of the receivers in terms of projected plus minus on DraftKings in our models, Deshaun on FanDuel. So, one of those Denver receivers you're probably going to have to go with. I think you kind of just play it by price because it's probably not going to be another um, quite as pass heavy of a game script. It sounds crazy, you know, as, as it is when you're going against the juggernaut that is San Francisco. Of course. But, <laughs> yeah. They, they force you to throw the ball to keep yeah. up. I mean, when you give up 200 yards to George Kittle in the first half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, Vance Joseph, you know, defensive minded head coach. Uh <laughs> Yeah, so um, yeah, that's where I am with that. I think uh, if Quincy Anunua, he's he look he's looking on the wrong side of questionable as well, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? Yeah, I don't think it's a good situation for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, and then also uh, some unknown with uh, Kiki Kute. Oh, I mean, as usual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's I mean, that's the whole thing with Demarius. If Kute comes back, then it's even less ideal for Demarius. I think maybe then uh, Kute probably becomes the better play because, uh, you know, going against those Jets, Jets in the slot, good situation generally for, for opposing wide receivers. But, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a toss up. I think you just have to kind of, it, it just depends on a roster construction, which, uh, which of the cheap receivers you end up using. Cause they're, they're essentially all in the same kind of dart throw, you know, on a low scoring, bad pass offense kind of team. Um, they could all pop. None of them have like terribly difficult um, or, or prohibitive matchups. Yeah, so looking at this more, uh, Anunua has been ruled out. Okay. Uh, looking at the tight ends, Njoku, Chris Herndon, Jordan Thomas, Matt Lacoste. Uh, I mean, it's embarrassing even to mention Lacoste, but he is a, <laughs> a player technically on the, the Denver Broncos. Uh, what are your thoughts with these guys? Yeah, I mean, I think, you, you know, Herndon stands out because of the matchup. 
so you know Houston and, and the only issue with this is that you know this was a matchup that the Joku didn't exploit but, you know, Herndon, you know, the, the, the Texans are 27th in DVOA against tight ends. They really struggled to, to defend tight ends all season. Herndon, you know, is a guy that for the Jets, he's, you know, especially with a Nunwa out, I think Herndon should get you know, a little bit of an uptick in usage. He's been playing about three quarters of the snaps. So I think Herndon's in a good spot just from a value perspective and a matchup perspective to, to pay off his salary. It's a little higher on FanDuel at 57 than it is on DraftKings at at 3K, so a little better of a play at, on DK where he leads all tight ends and projected plus minus. And then I, you still got to look at Najoku here. I mean, we saw the only thing I, you know, I, you know, after a guy like George Kittle, you know, goes off for 200 yards, especially against a team that's supposed to be defense first, head coach is a defensive guy. I think they do pay a little extra attention to the tight end. I, I think the last thing they they want to see is is Najoku go anywhere near a George Kittle type of stat line. So I think there will be kind of a, more attention than would otherwise be even for a player of Najoku's caliber. Um, and he's been kind of a victim of this spread around Kitchen's offense where he's his target share is down there at 13% since, since Kitchen's took over. So I think Herndon's a little bit better of a value, but Najoku's that he, he's got that upside just based on talent and, and to some extent based on the matchup as well. But it could be one of those situations where uh, it's kind of a letdown just because there's extra attention. Yeah, I think you're right. Like for me, one of the questions that this slate comes down to, and it sounds so stupid to say this, but like Unjoku or Herndon, you know, because that kind of determines what you're going to be able to do with the rest of your salary. And I think pretty clearly, like I don't want to go with Jordan Thomas or Matt Lacoste. So I think it'll come down to one of those two guys. And Unjoku, for as talented as he is, as you mentioned, like he's just not getting the target share that he previously was getting because, uh, you know, Mayfield is spreading the ball around, which, which makes sense. And Mayfield's having success with it. So, you know, it's hard to say that he's doing anything wrong. It's just uh, not as good of a situation for Njoku as you might want to see. Okay. Anything further to talk about with this slate? Yeah. I mean, I think a sleeper is Ryan Griffin at tight end. Mm-hmm. If you, if, Cause like, you know, he's, he's been unreliable, but he did kind of pop for, for 80 yards. Uh, on five targets his last game both of the Houston tight ends I think are kind of a little bit have some sleeper appeal yeah like Jordan Thomas is a really good leverage play because his main his main asset his main function when when he's catching passes is to catch touchdowns and so um in a game like this with an over under you know with a total hovering in that 41 42 range uh, there's a chance there's not much scoring and there's a chance that you know even a guy like Hopkins maybe doesn't get a touchdown and if Thomas gets like that only touchdown or like one of the two or two of the, you know, something to that extent, or like if Thomas and the defense are the only people that get the uh, players that get touchdowns, um, you could be in a really good spot in tournaments. So that those both consider those guys in tournaments, I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. Coming up is our third and long segment on lineup building and slate strategy right after we check in with Johnny Ewing for some trend-based sports betting insights. Good data is always in fashion. Here's John Ewing with Trend of the Week. We have just three weeks of regular season football left, and much is to be determined. If you're a fringe postseason team, games played in weeks 15 through 17 are must-win. Take Baltimore, for example. The Ravens are 7-6 and six and currently own the second wildcard in the AFC. If everything breaks right, Lamar Jackson & Co. could host a playoff game as a division winner or could miss out on the postseason entirely if the team stumbles down the stretch. The Ravens need a win on Sunday. Odds makers like Baltimore's chance, listing the team as eight-point favorites at home over the 5-8 and eight Buccaneers. 
It's easy to talk yourself into wagering on Baltimore. They are at home and have playoff motivation. However, history shows that such teams are often overvalued. Since 2003, betting against fringe playoff teams, which will define as having a 500 to 670 win percentage at home, has gone 118, 88, and 5. That's a 57% win rate against the spread. More than 60% of spread tickets are on the Ravens, making them a popular public play in Week 15. But I'll take the points with the Bucks. All right, that was John. Be sure to check out his sports betting articles each week at the Action Network. Chris, let's look at the main slate for Sunday. Uh, let's look at the highest-owned players in the Fantasy Labs models. Let's think about who we want to roster, who we might pivot away from, and who we might pivot to. Let's start at the quarterback position. Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady playing in that high-scoring game, or what we were expecting to be a high-scoring game in Pittsburgh, the highest total on the slate. Both of those guys have uh, high-ish ownership projections in our models, although you know for this slate, ownership projections are relatively spread around uh, the mm-hmm. cohort of quarterbacks, but these two guys, what are you doing with them? Yeah. So, you know, these two guys, I think it is going to be a high scoring game. So I think those guys are clearly the guys you want. I mean, Ben at home, I know he's coming off the rib injury, but I mean, we saw with big Ben, it's, you know, he comes back in the game and just casually, I mean, picks up another 80 yards passing or something like that. So I don't think you can really uh, go too wrong with, with big, with a guy like big Ben at home in a game with a a high total Brady you know feel fine with him as well but if I had to choose I think I would probably lean Big Ben just because um, I know he's more expensive but he's just had such ridiculous upside at home historically that um, I'm willing to pay the few extra bucks we're at a point in the season where you could generally find value uh, on the slate uh, whereas you can kind of choose the quarterback you want like you don't need to just pay down a quarterback just because it's that reliable floor position yeah I mean, he's got such a number such a good number one wide receiver <laughs> in, in juju uh, <laughs> got, no so yeah Antonio Brown you know he's he's going to be great at home you have juju it's, it's a good situation for for Big Ben at home so it's it's understandable uh, if you want to pay up for him the situation with Brady historically, you know, at least for like the half, the last half decade, he hasn't been as good in the second half of the season. And uh, for the last half decade, he hasn't been as good on the road. And when you put that together, those two factors together, uh, he really hasn't been good on the road in the second half of the season. Uh, but one thing that he does have going for him right now is that he has like his full arsenal. He has like all yeah. of the offensive weapons there. He has Gronk back. Sony Michelle is back. He has a healthy Edelman. He's got Josh Gordon rounding into form. And if you just look at the splits of Brady with all of those guys, that's when he's been at his best this year. So uh, it is a a pretty decent situation for him. He's not the cheapest he's been all year, but he's still pretty close to his his bottom in terms of salary. So uh, a a decent spot potentially to buy low on him. Yeah, and I I mean, and also, you know, he's by no means, like if I land on Brady – you know, it, it ends up coming down to roster construction a lot, which sometimes changes from the time we record yeah. um, to, 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 like, Sunday, just based on, like, one value play might switch everything up. But, like, if I land on Brady, like, I'm not viewing them in a totally different tier, like, at all. Like, I think, you know, they're both viable cash game quarterbacks. Uh, Big Ben, the correlation between the fantasy production of Big Ben and the opponent quarterback around league average, so, you know, 0.45 this year. But, I mean, you're still – it's still – that's still a significant correlation – um, and so, you know, you're kind of benefiting from whatever Roethlisberger does if you take that discount with Brady. So vi- vi- definitely viable. 
Yeah, and, and one thing that is notable, you know, Brady is, I mean, I wouldn't say significantly cheaper, but like he's he's clearly cheaper than Roethlisberger. He might enable you to do some other things with your roster construction, and he has just as high of a ceiling as yeah. Roethlisberger does. And and he's not uh, he's not as much of a risk uh, to leave the game. Right. He, does, so he I, doesn't I, have I, the yeah. injury risk. I might actually, yeah, switch my, I think I actually do favor Brady a little bit now that I think about that that injury risk. Because it's like, if you don't have to take that chance, yeah. you know, why do it? So, yeah. Right. And, and if you look at, at our models, you know, that, that have the, the ceiling and the floor projections, which are, you know, created uh, using the kind of Pakoda style uh, similarity score method, Brady has a significantly higher floor than Roethlisberger does. Something to keep in mind. Let's look at the the two running quarterbacks on the slate who are popping in our models. Uh, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. Man, I mean, <laughs> what, are, what are you doing with, with these guys, if anything? I mean, I think Lamar Jackson is, is a pretty good mid-priced cash game play. I think he has a, a pretty high floor. And as we mentioned, he has a good matchup. What are you doing with him and potentially Josh Allen? I mean, I think Josh Allen has been everything from a fantasy perspective that oh, yeah. we want uh, like Lamar to be as well. Like, like Josh Allen has been like Lamar with with like some added ceiling just because he's like he's just a better thrower. It sounds crazy, but like in terms of being able to to throw down the field and, and give his receivers like Lamar is just kind of yeah, it's kind of it's still more yeah. of a struggle for him, which is kind of crazy to to say because I mean we all know how you know all the criticisms about Allen, but um, I love that one. I, I've been, I mean, I think it was a couple weeks ago where he like he just like popped a lot higher than I thought he would in my uh, my rankings model, and like he's kind of stayed there just because his rushing the the, the per, you know the percentage of rushes that he's you know using for that Bills team gives him a chance essentially at a top five ceiling every time he steps out because he's just he's just running the ball to the point where he's you know he can put up like 100 yard games on the ground he's using 24 percent of their uh a quarter essentially of their carries so um that, that's a that's a big number Detroit you know th- we know that they're a lot better in run defense since they got Harrison uh, defending the interior and so I think you're going to continue to see Allen on the perimeter, that's going to be one of the Bills' main means of offense in this game is they're going to have to use Allen on the perimeter. And, and they're bad in, and the Lions are really bad in pass defense. So I think this sets up as another uh, good spot for Allen. And then uh, for Lamar Jackson, I think more of the same with him. The only thing you start to worry about with, with Lamar Jackson a little bit is that Flacco, it, it, he, he is going to be active as the backup this week, if I'm not mistaken. And we, we did see Lamar start to take – we're starting to take some hits. And, you know, he yeah. left the game a couple games ago. So it's another one of those similar situations where their outlooks aren't too different. But at this point, you know, it's, Lamar just seems like a, a little bigger of a risk for, 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 something, to go, uh, for something to go wrong. And, uh, you know, and, and that in addition to Flacco being – his presence being there, you know, you could always see him start to lose some snaps a la, you know, Drew Brees to, to Taysom Hill except backwards. But you get what I'm saying. Like, it's, yeah. I, I just – I feel a little better about Josh is what I'm trying to say. But, um, you know, both of them in, in good spots. I mean, that Bucks defense, again, not, not very good against the run, which plays right into Baltimore's hands. Yeah. Uh, Lamar Jackson has the higher median projection. Josh Allen pretty easily has the higher ceiling projection in our models. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, yeah. the thing with, with Allen, and, and you mentioned, you know, like he has the potential for huge yardage games as a passer uh, because of his strong arm, because, because they are willing for him to throw the ball deep. And uh, but it's a, it's an interesting situation. Ian mentioned this on the the Wednesday podcast. 
Whereas Lamar Jackson is uh, getting a lot of his rushing production from designed runs, for Josh Allen, his rushing production, a lot of it is coming on quarterback scrambles. It's hard to say that that is by design, but I think it almost kind of is. Like I think if his first read isn't there, his default at this point is to run. It's almost like the opposite of like a run-pass option. It's like a pass-run option. You know what I mean? It's like pass, if it's not there, run. And they're rolling him out in situations where uh, he's focusing on half of the field. If his throw isn't there, he's already in the situation to just take off and run. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of upside with him, even though I have to say, I mean, just like, you know, he's not a good quarterback. But, like, he's a perfect fantasy quarterback. You know what I mean? Long-term, he has, like, Blake Bortles type of potential where maybe he actually could become, like, a better version of what Bortles is. You know what I mean? Like, he could become a a good real-life quarterback. Like, he has amazing raw skills. Right now, it's it's just not – it's not coming into anything except for fantasy production. But it's glorious. I would say more than like a rich man's Blake Bortles. He almost reminds me of like a, a, a really poor man's Cam Newton. Cam Newton, yeah. And, and you know why? Because, I mean, we all forget that like Cam has turned himself into a, a, a really good quarterback, especially this year with Norv. I know they, they had a rough game against Cleveland, but um, all things considered, uh, you know, Cam's been, been good. Just missed key throws at, at bad times that have kind of – made it look worse than it is but he did cam wasn't you know for most of his career not no accurate not yeah, the accuracy isn't there charge yeah. for attempt isn't there yeah um and it's all rushing and that's kind of what that's kind of what josh reminds me of i think um the key for josh allen really is going to be ball control and, and the game skirt because josh allen has had these games where he has run so he had this straight stretch of games uh weeks five six and then 12 when he came back uh 19 attempts four runs, 17 attempts, four runs, 19 attempts, 13 runs. So it's like, but then he goes 33 attempts, nine runs, and 36 attempts, nine runs over the last two games. So it is kind of like what you're saying. If he's running on on a lot of these uh, undesigned runs, quarterback scrambles, it's kind of a ratio of, okay, he's running, you know, every four or five dropbacks or whatever. And if he has a game where he only has, you know, those 20, 25 dropbacks, then he could underwhelm and he could he could give you a bottom five performance. Uh, if, if it's a normal kind of game script where he ha- drops back 30, 35 times, then he has top five ceilings. So it depends on the Lions. Um, they have not really been able to control the ball with any degree of, of regularity since trading Golden Tate. I mean, I know other things have gone wrong since then. Marvin Jones went on injured reserve and uh, the, the line hasn't been good, but the Lions don't project as a team that can necessarily keep the ball away from Buffalo. Yeah. So I think that Allen was probably on the right side of, on the right side of his um, outlooks just because it doesn't take much and the, the line pass defense is still bad. So, I mean, he still has the chance of like, like an outside shot of throwing for 300, you know, if he hits one or two to, to, to Robert Foster or whoever, you know. Yeah, uh, agree. So, uh, side note, if I were a betting man, which I am, I would bet that uh, I will probably end up betting on, on their rushing props. Just, just saying, pretty high probability I will end up betting on the rushing props. Uh, and, of course, I will be using the Fantasy Labs props tool, which is powered by our industry-leading projections created by Sean Corner, a.k.a. the Odds Maker. This season, the NFL props with a bet quality of 10 are 207, 92, and 11, good for a hit rate of 67%. To access the tool, subscribe to Fantasy Labs, where you can get a five-day trial for just $15.95. Okay, let's talk about the running backs. 
the two guys at the top, Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley, we are expecting them to be the the highest owned guys on the slate. And uh, not coincidentally, they are the guys at the top of our rankings. And by the way, you can find those at actionnetwork.com slash fantasy. How are you choosing between these two guys? Well, you know, Saquon is, has just been amazing, even with, you know, the offense that he's been in. You have Zeke in, in a situation where, you know, going on a road after a, a big home game, but you mentioned it, you know, with Amari, it's, it's kind of helped Zeke out as well. So I, I don't think you can necessarily go, like, wrong with either of these guys. Um, it just really comes down to – to roster construction because you know we have Zeke as the the you know in, in Barkley within like tenths of a point of each other but Barkley is 400 more expensive on uh on DraftKings and he is let's see what is he on FanDuel he is 600 more expensive on FanDuel so um you don't you're not always going to have that maybe that salary to get up there at that at that high of an extreme so I think you kind of favor it, it favors Elliott a little bit, but and and I think that the Titans are they are also a better run defense than than uh, than a pass defense, so it kind of uh, plays more into uh, Zeke as well. The, but the Colts are also a good run defense, but I, I just think Zeke 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 makes me feel a little better. I think they're they're they have like an equal outlook, and Zeke is the cheaper guy, so that's kind of how I'm deciding it. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. Uh, Zeke is popping a little bit more in our models, and I, I think uh, a big part of that is just that he's a little bit cheaper at this point. Uh, he's been used enough in the passing game for me to feel more comfortable with him as a road dog. Uh, in the past, I really wouldn't have wanted to take him in that position, but he's been used enough as a receiving back that uh, I think he's pretty game script independent at this point. So uh, a, a safer situation for him. Jalen Samuels taking on the Patriots uh, at home. Of course, we are assuming uh, that he will be the, the starter, assuming that James Conner is out. We are expecting him to be fairly popular as he was last week. Uh, what are you doing with him? In a tournament at this ownership and this kind of matchup, I don't think you necessarily need to do it too much because we see this repeatedly in tournaments. The, the chalk running backs generally end up in the winning lineups. And, and, and by the chalk, I don't just mean like the chalk value plays, but just the, the chalk studs in general. So I don't think you necessarily need to go – the Samuels route, I do think he has some upside because this, again, Pittsburgh tends to attempt a lot of passes at home. And if New England's kind of playing back in coverage and if they decide not to single up Antonio Brown and play with more coverage, they will have, um, you know, Samuel's the guy that's going to benefit. He's going to catch some dump off. So I don't hate the play, but at, at that ownership level, not necessarily somebody I'm excited about in tournaments. I think there's uh, en- enough either you go with like, kind of a higher, more expensive backfield, or you kind of take some of those mid-range. You have, you have Joe Mixon up there as well, high ownership, but, but a, a bit of a higher ceiling. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of ways to go where you don't kind of get stuck with, the, with, with Samuel's chalk. All right, let's talk about the wide receivers. And, of course, let's start with Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster uh, going against New England. I mean, good spot for them at home. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting because Brown actually has a negative projected plus minus in our models, even though he's one of the top projected receivers, obviously. Oh, you, you don't say. <laughs> what, what a surprise. Sorry, go ahead. I think, I think Freeman hacked uh, Sean Corner's <laughs> right. yeah. um, projections for that one. But no, uh, you know, I, I don't think you have to trick yourself into feeling like you have to play a Steelers wide receiver. 
you know, Juju's also been priced up to where he's not a great value either in this spot. So, you know, but with, with both of those guys, I think the, 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 the pricing has come so close together that I'd still favor Antonio Brown here. I mean, he's five, he's only 500 more expensive than Juju uh, on DraftKings and 700 on FanDuel. Antonio Brown is still uh, a guy who um, I think just because the, of the, the way he plays and the position he plays um, will still end up having more uh, upside more often than not, although Juju's been right there, but. Uh, yeah. I mean, Antonio yeah. Brown leads yeah. the league in end zone targets. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he has, a, he has a very high ceiling. No yeah, question. Exactly. So it's like with the, with the way the prices are, I, I, I still favor uh, the 11th best wide receiver. In the league. <laughs> okay. Uh, Amari and T Y Hilton, assuming of course the T Y Hilton plays uh, both of them in the dome uh, in Indianapolis, that game has the second highest total on the slate. How are you approaching them? That's weird because it's not even a high total at all. It's not. It's not. It's it's a throwback week. It feels like 2016 with with some some games that really don't have high totals. Yeah, uh, you know, I think who you said Amari and Ty. Who, yeah, Amari. Yeah, Amari yeah, and Ty. I mean, you kind of hit on it. I think Ty. You got to kind of weave. I mean, we'll see what happens because it's it's still Thursday when we're recording this. If he's fine on Friday, then I guess treat. It. I think Ty does become interesting. Uh, he's actually got a. Uh, out of all of the top receivers on the main slate on DraftKings, he's got the best projected plus minus. It just depends if he's actually going to be healthy. Uh, I think Amari's still in, in a solid spot, but his price is getting up there. And Indianapolis did a, a good job on DeAndre Hopkins last week. I mentioned it earlier, 10 targets on uh, for 36 yards. So I don't think it's necessarily a gimme matchup for Amari. It, it's kind of probably going to depend on game script, but I think the targets will be there. Just will we score a touchdown and what will the game script be? Because remember, his numbers, as good as he was last week, that it was a lot of it was uh, game script driven just with the game staying so close and, uh, and then ultimately going to overtime. So, and Dallas controlling the ball for essentially that whole period. So I, I would favor T.Y. if we knew that he was, that he was healthy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster doppelgangers and Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen uh, playing against Miami. Uh, what are your thoughts with these two guys? So I worry, I worry a little bit about the, the scoring potential for this game because John Filippo, the Vikings OC, got fired. Apparently it was mainly because Mike Zimmer, head coach, felt like he did not run the ball enough. He was too quick to abandon the run. I don't think that's exactly true. I think that's one of those examples of how kind of old – thinking kind of gets in the way of, uh, of smart coaching in the NFL, because if you look at the, at the Vikings and you look at their numbers, they were one of the worst teams in early down success rate when they're running the football, 26 in yards per carry on early downs, 31st in first down rate on early down rushes. But uh, in, in terms of the pass, they're number 14 in net yards per pass on, on first and second down. And they're number 13 in first down rate on first or second down when they pass the ball. So, Diesel Whipple was right to abandon the run, but I worry now that promoting the, the quarterback's coach that they're going to recommit to establishing the run, that might ultimately just result in another kind of so-so game. I'm sure I'm, – I'm guessing that one of Thielen and Diggs will probably still have, have a use like a, a smash – enough of a, a smash spot, but it's hard to kind of get as excited when you have a team that's pretty clearly going to want to – reestablish the run in Miami their weakness is more so against the pass they rank nine spots better in DVOA against the run they are the second worst team in terms of giving up yards per net yards per pass attempt on first and second down on defense so this is a team that you want to be aggressive with 
Um, DeFilippo's real problem was that he just didn't use, he thought that because his run game wasn't good, he couldn't use the play action, couldn't take, take as many deep shots. Um, Minnesota was one of the, uh, the, the lowest play action teams. And so I, I just, I worry that they're going to be a little too run heavy. It's probably going to end up benefiting Dalvin Cook the most. And, and these guys could, they'll probably have their volume, but it's hard to say like, oh my God, smash spot. The one thing that helps is obviously Xavier Howard. Looks like he's not going to play for Miami, which is a big, a big downgrade because none of their other corners are, are in the top 70 in PFFs grades yep let's talk about tight ends four guys near the top of the salary scale not really much separating them uh in terms of salaries uh george kittle versus seattle eric ebron against dallas rob gronkowski in pittsburgh and then jared cook in cincinnati how are you discerning between those four guys well i do like the matchup for gronk you know you never know what a defense is going to do in terms of the, the defensive attention but pittsburgh is down to 31st in DVOA against the tight end. All the other guys you mentioned, uh, their matchups, more, more middle, middle of the pack. Still favor Gronk as a smash play. I think Kittle will probably get a little inflated ownership after the blow-up spot last week. So that's someone that probably tried to, to get off a little bit. So I think, I think Gronk is the guy here still um, that I'm looking at the most. Okay. Uh, any other tight end catch your eye? Um, yeah, so uh, Ferkser is interesting. Uh, Anthony Ferkser for the, the Titans against the Giants, kind of an under-the-radar guy that, um, you know, kind of you've seen, you know, all these, uh, a lot of these low-end tight ends busts. So I wouldn't go too too crazy with it, but he's a guy that kind of primary pass catching tight ends on a team that really outside of Corey Davis, um, they're, they're always looking for, for pass catchers. So if this guy starts to, he's going to get nearly a full complement of snaps perhaps with the, or at least passing down snaps with John who Smith out. He's a guy that could give you some cheap production at the, at only 2,900 on DK. Okay. We're going to close out the show with our fourth and goal segment previewing Sunday night football. But first let's kick it to Ian Harditz who runs through the key week 15 coverage situations. The press, the jam, and the five-yard bump. Ian Harditz brings you Dance of the Divas. Week 15 has eight key wide receiver cornerback shadow matchups to monitor. First is Kenny Galladay versus Tredavious White. It's another tough matchup for Galladay as Tredavious has held the likes of Keenan Allen, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, and Josh Gordon under 100 and out of the end zone in shadow dates this season. Mike Evans will take on Jimmy Smith. Uh, Jimmy Smith has fared well in shadow matchups versus Michael Thomas and Julio Jones this year, but Evans obviously has the physical tools to win any matchup. Julio Jones will take on Patrick Peterson. They should line up against each other most of the time on the outside, but Peterson has only played 11 total snaps in the slot all season, and Julio runs 21% of his routes from the inside of the formation. Odell Beckham will take on Adoree Jackson. Uh, it remains to be seen if OBJ will play through this quad injury, but he's capable of winning any matchup, especially this one. Devontae Parker will take on Xavier Rhodes. This is a really tough matchup for Parker with how big and athletic Rhodes is. He's able to match up very well. And with so much uncertainty in the Dolphins run first offense, situation to avoid. Antonio Brown Juju Smith-Schuster will face off against Stephon Gilmore and Jason McCourty. Against the Vikings, the Patriots had Gilmore shadow Stephon Diggs on the outside with McCourty in a safety bracketing Adam Thielen from the slot. I expect them to use the same strategy against the Patriots with Gilmore shadowing AB and Juju seeing more attention from the inside. Josh Gordon will face off against Joe Hayden. Steelers have really asked Joe Hayden to shadow, but he's been good when he's done it. But Gordon at least has a decent floor considering he has at least 70 yards and or a touchdown in 7 of 10 games with the Patriots. And finally, Michael Thomas and Traquan Smith will face off against James Bradbury and Dante Jackson. 
Thomas has dominated the Panthers, caught 30 of 36 targets for 434 yards and three touchdowns in five career games against the Panthers. My favorite matchup of the week, Julian Edelman. He's gone for 11 catches, 97 yards, no scores, nine catches, 60 yards, no scores, and eight catches, 118 yards, and one score in his last three games against the Steelers. We saw Keenan Allen get nine targets for Steeler linebackers when the Chargers played them, so I'm expecting Julian Edelman to get favorable matchups from the inside all game, and they should be uh, fine, fancy-friendly near the end zone as well, considering he's already one of four receivers with at least 10 targets inside the 10-yard line, despite being suspended for four games. All right, that was Ian. Be sure to check out his wide receiver cornerback matchup column each week at the Action Network. Chris, Sunday Night Football, Eagles at Rams. Rams favored uh, right now. The line is 11 and a half, a 52.5 over under. The spread is up from nine and a half on news that Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz is expected not to play with a, uh, a back injury, a, a broken vertebra. The total is down from 54. Over 80% of the money is currently on the under. The Eagles are coming off an overtime loss in a must-win game against the Cowboys. The Rams are coming off of a disappointing Sunday night football loss to the Bears, uh, but they still have a shot at the number one seed. What are you doing with this game? You know, I think at first glance, every, you know, it's kind of – everyone's kind of first inclination is going to be to follow that money. It's, you know, Wentz is out, you know, spread goes up, total goes down. I, I understand it, but I actually – and this is probably a kind of an unrayban like put pick, but I'm going Rams at the big at the big number here because the thing that gives me pause about the total is that I think the Rams could come close to covering it uh, by themselves, and it, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like I mean, let you know, Dallas put up what did they end up 29 against the Eagles. I mean, that's Dallas and Dallas is not, uh, you know, a, a very explosive offensive team. And, and, and they gave up three touchdowns to, to, to their number one wide receiver. I mean, this is a game, you know, last week I was worried about the Rams going into Chicago, no Cooper cup, you know, tough spot for them. This is a spot at home, no weather to deal with against a, a secondary. That is just, I mean, they're, they're about as bad as it can get right now. Uh, this is, a, I think this is a get right game for their offense. And so I get why the money is kind of on the total, but I just worry that, again, the Rams could cover it nearly by themselves. I, you know, Nick Foles, I, and at the same time, I think the Rams' defense, probably not as good as they looked last week. You know, I think there might be some issues still with Mr. Trubisky. It wasn't the cold weather, so a lot of things going on there. But the Rams against Nick Foles, this, Nick Foles, we've seen him in the playoffs have – a remarkable three-game stretch. We've seen him have a remarkable season, but besides that, Nick Foles, there's been, there has been a pretty significant downgrade from Carson Wentz to Nick Foles. I mean, Nick Foles is is averaging last year in the regular season 4.65 net yards in attempt. This year, in, in his two appearances, 4.89 net yards per attempt, and no, that was against the Falcons and the Bucks. 4.89 net yards per yeah. attempt against the Falcons and the Bucks. So like, I, I remember. He's going nuts in the playoffs, but he, this, we've only seen this, this Nick Foles in the playoffs. Like, in the regular season, he's been a very, very bad quarterback. I just think that the, it's going to be easy for the Rams to blow this one open. I, I, it's hard for me to call where the total is going to land because, again, I think the Rams could end up scoring 40-some odd points themselves. I'm not sure exactly how to gauge their defense, but I, I think the Rams blow them out. I think that's possible. If I were betting, I would say it's probably even likely. And I, I did grab this uh, actually at nine as soon as I heard that Carson Wentz was out. 
And I was amazed that it hadn't been taken off the board yet. And part of it is now that I am anchoring to that number of nine. <laughs> so like my head won't let me bet this at 11 and a half because I already bet it at nine. You know what I mean? But I, I'm looking at everything you said about Nick Foles is right. He's totally inconsistent. But have you considered the hashtag revenge game perspective going? I'm, I'm kind of joking about that, <laughs> but uh, going, going against the Rams, the thing that Foles didn't have at the beginning of the season and these you might not think these are big things, but I, I think it's maybe enough to push me over 20 and a half for the, the Eagles, which is where uh, the imply total is right now. He didn't have Alshon Jeffrey. Golden Tate has been added to that offense. Darren Sproles, I believe, was injured early in the season, so he didn't have Sproles in the second game of the season. So like, he has as full of a complement of weapons as he's going to have. So. I don't know, 20 and a half, like that's not that many points. Like the, the Eagles, even if you think at this point that kind of like retrospectively, Frank Reich was a much bigger part of what that offense was doing than Doug Peterson last year. And I think that's the case. I still have enough respect for Peterson to think that in a game that is must win for them, because they can still technically make the playoffs if a lot of things break out right and maybe they still have like the quote-unquote heart of a champion and they're going against a very good team. Like I think they will want to be like motivated where even if they lose, they lose playing like the Super Bowl champion. All of those things factor together. I think they have to be able to score at least 21 points. You know what I mean? Like so that's, that's where I'm going to go. I, yeah, I don't, like I said, I don't hate it. I just, I just really don't feel like I have a gauge on it. That's a, that's, I, I just have a much stronger feeling and this is not usual for me. Cause usually I'm like, ah, I can see how this other team keeps it close. But in this one, I just ah, ram smash spot. I think that's why the line, like, I, I think a lot of people are going to look at that line and be like, oh, that's too much. And, and probably bet the Eagles. The Rams and, could win yeah. by like 30 points. I mean, yeah. like they, they could be, the thing is, it's just that their defense. And, and here's the thing, even if they win by a lot, I think that would just kind of, put the the Eagles in a position to score more points and the Rams defense can give up points like they haven't been very good to this point in the season at preventing opponents from scoring points so yeah. you know like that's that's where I'm I'm yeah. uh, I'm going with this here it's interesting uh Golden Tate's uh last four games snap rates 71 60 48 39 targets 8 8 7 3 so I wonder if they kind of uh, – I don't know if that's noise or – I mean, obviously the snap counts are, are deliberate that they're, yeah. they're going down. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like they're kind of finding a, a, a balance where they, they don't feature him quite as much. So that, that's something interesting to watch and note for uh, DFS purposes as well. Yeah, that was the, uh, the rare trade in which both sides lost. You know, yeah, what I, mean? <laughs> I tweeted like, that, but yeah. it's like, it's like, uh, for Oakland, I mean, Oakland's up there like 11th in passing DVOA. It seems like, I mean, obviously we're, we're not talking about the draft. It's more on, on the field. Um, but like on the field, it's like Oakland and Dallas both won that, that, that Cooper trade yeah. and, uh, Detroit and Philly both lost that Golden Tate trade on the field. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what we got for the show. Uh, you are breaking down the Monday night game within on our next show, man, this has been a long one. Any final words? Let's get this money. That is going to do it for the Friday episode of the Action Network NFL podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for all of our upcoming episodes. For Chris Raybon, I am Matthew Friedman, Matt of the Oracle. See you again next episode. <laughs>